Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey y'all, we're back again. It's another episode of the Brain Love Podcast. Tonight we're discussing uterine fibroids and this is an episode not just for women, but the fellas should listen as well. Because most men have women in their lives, whether it's their significant other or whether it's your mother, your aunt, your grandmother, your sister, or it might be your daughter. So guys, listen up. I know I have a lot of a lot of guys who listen to this this podcast. So this is not just for women. Don't skip this episode. Join us on the couch. So before we get into tonight's topic, which is uterine fibroids, I would like to um, play a couple of, um, well, a response. I'm just going to play one response tonight. Um, A male responded to my uh, podcast episode about interior design, the mental health benefits, and I'd like to play his response. I thought it was um, thought it was pretty helpful. So I'll play that before we go into um, tonight's topic, which again is uterine fibroids. I'm playing back the um, interview I had with Dr. O. Lawrence Stitt, who is a gynecological surgeon in Maryland. Um, you will hear more about him in the interview. Um, he and I actually trained at the same hospital during residency during the same years, both psychiatry as well as obstetrics and gynecology, our four-year residencies. But we didn't know each other during that time. Um, I met him in the military because he is a, a former uh, medical doctor, former member of the medical corps, um, as I am a member of the medical corps. So I, I that that was pretty cool. So anyhow, tonight we're talking about uterine fibroids, which are a very common gynecological or gynecologic condition, um, obviously amongst women. A uterine fibroid is located in the uterus, um, hence uterine fibroid, and it's the primary reason for hysterectomy for women in the United States. So for women in the United States, fibroids are a common reason for hysterectomy. Over their lifetime, about 80% of black women will develop fibroids in comparison to 70% of white women. Now, there is a bigger disparity between black women um, in the age range of 18 and 30 who actually have um, 25 Twenty-five percent or so of Black women in this age range have fibroids, in comparison to only six percent of white women in that same age range. By age thirty-five, the number for Black women increases to sixty percent. Black women are also two to three times more likely to have recurring fibroids or to suffer from complications. So, guys, really quickly, here is the response from the gentleman regarding mental health, the mental health effects of interior design. So before we get on the couch with Dr. Stitt, just check out what he had to say. So, hey, Doc, I was listening to the, uh, you asked me to, in my DM, to comment on the uh, interior design via Spotify and uh, Anchor. So I thought that the, um, that the uh, conversation piece was really, really nice, uh, very insightful, very informative. And um, uh, I thought it was that because 
normally like guys, unless, um, you know, you have a significant other or you just enter the interior design or you hire someone, um, we don't think a whole hell of a lot about it. Um, we, we have a tendency sometimes just to go with the simple plain white and our walls look blah. So this, uh, the second piece about the interior design is that I actually got my creative juices to start thinking about how I want my space to be and uh, how I could uh, maybe consider changing it up and uh, making it more of a peaceful environment. Um, it's just kind of very important to get, as you say, the mental calmness, the mental, um, the mental well-being all under control especially in this time and age. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for um, having this podcast. Thank you for sharing. Um, and thank you for helping us to think about some things that maybe we didn't consider, um, you know, the calming, the excitement, whatever vibe you want for your home and your space. Right. Hey, 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 guys. It's Dr. Delvina. Thomas. Yes, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. And I just wanted to tell you about some ways you can follow me. First of all, you can get in touch with me by sending an email to info, I-N-F-O, at D-R, as in doctor, at drdelvina.help. That's H-E-L-P. So info at drdelvina.help. That's spelled D-R, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, that help H E L P. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. They are um, matching now. So it used to be my Instagram was a little different than my Facebook page, and that Facebook page got taken down. So now they're both the same, which they are both Dr. Delvina, D R D S and Delta E L V as and Victor E N A. And my website used to be drdelvina.help, but I'm redoing the website so soon. It will be launched, and it will be Dr. Delvina, so doctor abbreviated again, D-R-D-E-L-V as in Victor, E-N-A, help, H-E-L-P dot com. You may also follow my office, which is D-R-T, Brain Love. We are D-R-T Behavioral Services, P-L-L-C, but we go by D-R-T Brain Love on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Please feel free to follow all. And subscribe to those pages. And our website is uh, brainlovehelp.com. B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E-H-E-L-P.com. Everything is about help. And we also have a website for our, for our spa and also for our um, CBD and uh, medicinal cannabis licensure. So there's links for those um, websites on DRT Brain Love website as well as on my website when it launches. But feel free to subscribe to all of the um, podcast platforms. Please subscribe on iHeartRadio, on Pandora, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts. And if you're um, a member on Anchor, which is Anchor by Spotify, please feel free to subscribe on Anchor as well. As you know, the more subscribers you have, the better. I do appreciate the the subscribers that I have to date. And some of you have been with me since the podcast started in May 2020. So we're in our third year, and I appreciate your support. And 
If you're sending a monthly contribution, I appreciate that support. And if you're not sending a contribution, but you're listening on a regular basis, I greatly appreciate that support as well. If you haven't already done so, please uh, do a rating on your favorite podcast platform and share it with other people, man. All right. Remember, brain love. So you may be wondering, why is the psychiatrist talking about fibroids? I've told you guys before, life is about brain love, man. Now, obviously, I'm a woman. Uh, What may not be obvious to folks is that I'm a black woman. I am a black woman, so this is something that I feel should be discussed with all women because white women get fibroids as well. Um, But even what's more important than that um, are the mental consequences or the mental manifestations of uterine fibroids. So that's why we're talking about it tonight. And you can watch the actual video, the visual on Thursday night because it'll be released for Therapy Thursday on my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Delvina Thomas. If you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel, please subscribe. I'm trying to get to 5,000 subscribers soon. I'm a little over 3,000. But there are mental manifestations of uterine fibroids. Women with uterine fibroids experience higher rates of sadness, anxiety, a.k.a. nervousness, and self-directed violence. Can you believe that? And uh, those with pain or those who have had a hysterectomy are more at risk of experiencing these things. And we'll talk about all of these things during the interview. And many women, fibroids play a heavy toll on a a woman's emotional well-being and can lead to issues, body issue anxieties. They can have lower self-esteem, and you'll hear about that too because we interview Ingrid B., who you've heard of previously in some of my other episodes or some other projects we've done together, we interview her, and she had her uterine fibroids were a huge issue in her marriage. And there's also worries about relationships and sexuality because of the consequences of having heavy bleeding, not knowing when you'll bleed. So join me on the couch with Dr. Stitt as we discuss all of these things associated with fibroids. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, 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 guys, it's Thursday night and it's time for Therapy Thursday. I'm your host, Dr. Delvina Thomas, a board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Tonight, we're discussing uterine fibroids and black women. I have a very special guest who flew in all the way from my home state, my hometown from Baltimore, Maryland. He's a gynecological surgeon. You'll hear more from him during this interview. Uterine fibroids in the black community is a major issue. It's an issue because women don't have access to care, they may not have savvy surgeons, and they may not know or recognize the signs and symptoms of uterine fibroids. So tonight we want to change that. Are you ready to take the couch? Hello, Dr. Stitt. Hello there, Dr. Thomas. How are you? I'm well. Great to see you again. Same here. Same here. So, folks, he and I, we attended or we trained at the same hospital during residency. I was in psychiatry and Dr. Stitt, ob Yeah. So, cheers. Reunion. Are you ready to take the couch? Yes, let's go. Okay. So, allow me to tell people about you, why you are the expert tonight, if that's okay. Sure. 
So, old Lawrence Stitt, the third. Doesn't that sound like a strong name? Strong, strong, strong. I'm going to agree. It's my name. I have to. <laughs> so, Dr. Stitt is the director of UM Capital Region Health Fibroid and Pelvic Pain Center. He is a board-certified OB-GYN who specializes in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. He helps women with a wide range of gynecological conditions, including abnormal bleeding, fibroids, which we're talking about tonight, and endometriosis. Dr. Stitt recognizes the importance of putting patients at ease and emphasizes building a relationship with his patients to develop a sense of trust and openness. Sounds good. So why are uterine fibroids more prevalent in women like myself and black women or women of color? You know, uterine fibroids, they don't just pop up, right? So there's a genetic predisposition that we know associated with uterine fibroids. When we look at women of African ancestry, we know that probably about 80% of black women by the time they turn age 50 are gonna have uterine fibroids. And it's a genetic predisposition. Sometimes I tell my patients the same thing that makes your skin color the way it is, it's the same thing that makes you have fibroids. It's in the DNA. So it's present at higher numbers in women of color. Non-women of color, patients who have 70% risk of having uterine fibroids by the age of 50, usually Caucasian women, some women of Latin descent, and some women of Asian descent, even fewer. there's nature and nurture whenever we talk about a lot of these medical conditions. We just talked about the DNA. What are some of the things in our environment or what women do on a daily basis or on a regular basis that can predispose them to, to fibroids? One of the biggest factors that I see that predisposes women to fibroids is obesity. Is obesity. We know that Hormones cause fibroids to grow, specifically estrogen, right? So it's, a, it's, and we know that when the estrogen levels go down in a woman's circulatory system, fibroids shrink. They stop growing. However, these cells that we have in our body, these fat cells, they store estrogen. So they allow women to have more estrogen available to be circulating in the system, and that can cause fibroids to become much larger. So in our fibroid center, I have nutritionists that helps. First step, is to get the obesity taken care of. So when, when patients come in, we'll talk about this a little, little bit further when we talk about how to treat. The first consultation, if there's a patient who is obese, is with a nutritionist, before we even start talking about medication, surgery, wow. and all the options that are out there. Wow, wow, wow. That is pretty, pretty serious. I want, I want you to emphasize that because you just said the first step is to meet with the nutritionist so that way a woman can learn about nutrition, diet intake, weight loss, before you discuss any type of pharmacotherapy intervention, before any surgical intervention, the first step is weight loss. It is, now you have to stratify patients or pick the patients who would most benefit from weight loss. For example, sometimes I have patients who come in and they have fibroids that are the size of an orange. They can really benefit from weight loss and, and getting their overall diet together. However, when I have patients that come in and their fibroids are the size of a watermelon in their, in their belly, the size of a 10-month pregnancy, that ain't gonna help. You need something bad. And no matter how much dieting you do, no, no matter how many minimally basic procedures I do, at that point, something aggressive needs to be done. Yeah, well as physicians, we know that we should always try the least 
restrictive or the least invasive type procedure or intervention before we go to something like surgery. What if you have a woman who is, because I know a lot of women out there are thinking this, well, I'm not obese, and we didn't give the definition of obesity, but I think most people probably know, and, and you know, guys, we can discuss that at a later point in time, but let's say it's a woman who is, um, I want to say not obese, but it's so common in the black community, hell, I'm obese. You know, by standards, I'm considered obese. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, obesity, I'm not obese and I still have fibroids, be sure to look at the definition and the standards of BMI because you may be obese and not know it. So if you have someone who truly does not meet the definition of obesity mm -hmm. and she has fibroids, what are some of the other predis predisposing factors or? Sure, so we brought, you know, in our fibroid center, we use a comprehensive approach to treating uterine fibroids. We start with nutrition if that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. If that's not a possibility, and let's say there's a patient who is is, you know, she's a millennial, she's a working mom, she can't take time off from work, she has to take care of her kids, if she has surgery, she's gonna be out four, six weeks or whatever, and she wants treatment. And the symptoms that she's having are related to her fibroids. The symptoms that we commonly see are heavy bleeding, pelvic pain, there's bulk-related symptoms, and just to go into a little bit more detail about these bulk-related symptoms, heavy bleeding and pelvic pain, we know that. You have a whole lot of bleeding and it hurts. But bulk-related symptoms, we talk about urinary incontinence, when you laugh, cough, or sneeze, a little bit of urine comes out. Or you have constipation, the bowel can't come through the rectum. Or you have significant back pain due to heavy fibroids. So when we talk about these symptoms, depending upon what symptoms you have, we talk about possible options. So if the, if the symptoms are heavy bleeding and pelvic pain, there are medications now. It came out with a medication in 2020, specifically to treat urine fibroids, phenomenal. We hadn't had anything until then. Mm -hmm. So now there's a pill that a woman can take to decrease the amount of bleeding and pain that she's having by 75 to 80% because of the uterine fibroids. So this pill, is it a type of hormone blocker or what does this do? That's a good do? question, Dr. Thomas. That's a very good question. Is it of pill? course it is. <laughs> it's a pill, a type of hormone blocker. Yeah. So yes, it does. It would, yes, it does. It blocks a particular hormone in the brain from being released that causes, guess what hormone, to be decreased? Estrogen. Estrogen. So we now know if we can adjust the levels of estrogen in the female body, we can adjust the symptoms associated with fibroids, the growth of the fibroids, and overall decreased symptoms that cause increased quality of life for women. Thank you for that. So for the women who are like, whew, I'm hot flashing, I'm, I'm perimenopausal, my doctor told me my estrogen is low, you're talking about reducing the estrogen. So taking that pill and reducing the estrogen, could these women have possible side effects of menopausal-like symptoms? So we talk to every 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 patient about that point exactly. Yeah. Is that, you know, we know that by looking at patients who come in who are postmenopausal, who had fibroids, didn't have them treated, we saw that they shrunk. So we tell women that we can get your fibroids to shrink. True. We can get the bleeding to decrease some but you may have hot flashes from time to time. There's some medications that give add-back therapy, which is a little bit of estrogen to offset those hot flashes, and it works just fine. But occasionally, patients may have hot flashes. So I asked my patients, I said, which is the most problematic issue? Is it the heavy bleeding, yeah. or is it a hot flash once a week? And they all say, 
The heavy bleeding. The heavy bleeding. Yeah. Because it interferes with so many other factors of their life. Sure. I have patients sometimes, Dr. Thomas, who come in for a consultation, and I say, okay, let's do an exam. And I say, okay, let's get ready, do an exam. And then I look at their bellies, and then I'm like, what is that you have on? She says, well, I have to wear a diaper. You have to wear a diaper? Why? Oh. Because I'm, my bleeding is so heavy wow. that I saw all my clothes, I saw all my bed sheets. I can't leave the house. Whoa. Forget a white party. That's not happening. Oh, and it's in, it's these patients who are suffering yeah. at home. And it's not just them. As you mentioned before, they're family members. They can't take the kids to practice because they got to be at home. Mommy is at home on the first two days of her cycle because she can't go anywhere. She has to be in bed. As far as intimacy, forget that. It's, yeah. it's, it's a problem. So, you know, when we, when we risk stratify patients, we try to determine who can benefit from medications. Go back to your question. And who needs further evaluation? Yeah, it's, a, it's all about risk and benefit. As a psychiatrist, a mental health expert, this is why I've taken an interest in this because a lot of women become frustrated with the situation that they're experiencing. As you said, you can't do, you know, we kind of laughed at it, but it's so true. You can't wear white, you don't feel comfortable wearing white because you're not sure if you might have an accident. Um, as far as you guys know, I talk a lot about relationships and sex. As far as being intimate, if you're bleeding or you have heavy bleeding, that can be intrusive to your, your personal life. Excuse me. You know, consider if you're married, then, you know, of course, you can explain to your husband what's going on. But if you're a woman who's in her 30s and you're dating and you're actively dating or you have a significant other, it might be a little difficult and feel embarrassing for some women to explain to him that, hey, no. My menses doesn't go away after five or six days. It's more like 14, 16, 17 days, and it's heavy bleeding. Yeah, and even, even further, if you talk about, we talked about those bulk-related symptoms. Sometimes if these fibroids become really large, they take up the space inside. So if, right. if, if you're thinking about having intercourse, it's very tough to have intercourse if there's no place to connect, right? Because the fibroids take up that space. Okay, Dr. Stig, so, hold on. You're being too much of a clinician right now. <laughs> Let me break this down for you guys. What Dr. Stitt is telling you is that these fibroids can grow to be so large that they take up space everywhere. They're in your uterus, obviously, but let's do a little bit of anatomy. So if we go into the vagina, you have um, your, you do call it a vaginal canal or that vaginal space before you get to your cervix. The cervix is like a donut. In the middle of that cervix, there's a little bitty hole. That's your cervical eyes. When you go through that hole, it goes into the uterus, which is where you find the fibroids. If you have the big fibroids like Dr. Stitt is describing, when you're trying to have sexual intercourse and you're making inserts an object, a penis, or whatever it is he or she is trying to insert inside of you, there's not much space left over because that fibroid has taken up all of that space. That's right. So we talked about pain. We talked about bleeding, but pain is an issue too. Yeah. So bumping against a tumor, I like to keep going back to tumors because we hear about fibroids all the time, but yeah. when we use the word tumor, everyone picks up. It perks up. So when someone is bumping against a tumor, it really causes a lot of discomfort. Even when I do exams in the office, and we use this thing, this speculum, to look inside to make sure everything is nice and healthy, to look at the cervix. And when I can't even put the speculum in halfway because there's a big tumor there, it's it's problematic. So you talk about patients that I need to refer to you because of 
depression and just feeling not themselves and not being able to satisfy their partner, it's tough. It's, it's tough. It's uh, tough. What's the biggest five weight you've encountered? I did a surgery for a young woman from Nashville, Tennessee. She flew out to see me in Maryland. She had been looking for someone to, to take care of her fibroids. She was told that she had to be a hysterectomy, and that was the only option. How? She was, she, she was 41 years old. Wow. And they wanted to take her uterus. That, they told her that was the only option. Wow. Because they did, she didn't have, because of the size of her fibroids, she didn't have any other option. So when I met her, um, she came into the office. Her fibroid was the size of a full-term pregnancy. It was from her pelvis all the way up to her ribs and came all the way out to both sides. Ooh. So she said, Doc, uh, I want to have a baby. I said, okay, you pray about it. I mean, you know, we need to make sure that you use everything that we can use. Because I'm going to pray for you too, but we're going to do everything yeah. we can to get this done for you. So we took her to the operating room. Uh, we took out the fibroid. And when we got finished, we weighed the fibroid. It was nine and a half pounds. She had a baby. It was nine and a half pounds. She a lost nine baby. pounds immediately. A big baby. We were able to repair her uterus. Um, she wow. went home two weeks later, back to Tennessee, and now she's she's thinking about IVF. This was about six months ago. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for what you do. I'm sure that restored a lot of faith in her and um, just really probably helped to remedy any mood symptoms she had, any sadness she was feeling any disappointment in herself yeah. because I think a lot of these women at times feel like it's their fault it's something they did or they're not doing or you know it's interesting you know when I talk to patients and they come in and they say well doc I'm here because I have this fibroid and you know as you just mentioned I could, you know I don't know what I'm going to do I said well when were you diagnosed with this fibroid said, three or four years ago I said where you been well what I was told was that if I came to see a doctor I would have to have a hysterectomy I'm just not ready to give up my uterus yet. Yeah, see, oh, let me stop you. We're going to debunk that urban myth right now. That is a myth. If you have fibroids, you do not have to have a hysterectomy. You still have an opportunity at bearing children, at carrying your own child, you know, hopefully for the entire nine months. So that is an urban myth. Yeah, so, and, and since you brought up hysterectomy, some patients, for whatever reason, still need to have a hysterectomy. It may not be because of the fibroids. It may be during the workup of heavy bleeding, I find something that says, okay, you have to have a hysterectomy. But what I'd like to also say is gone are the days that if you do, by chance, have to have a hysterectomy. Gone are the days you have to have your mother's hysterectomy. You don't gotta have your mama's hysterectomy. <laughs> What's your mama's hysterectomy? I, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> your mama's hysterectomy is the one that was done probably over the past I don't know, it's since they started being done, and that was being cut, having that C-section type scar. Yeah. Being in the hospital for three to four days, recovering from four to six weeks. Mm. Now we have technologies that can treat your fibroids or remove them in such a manner where you go home the same day. A lot of my patients, a good 80% of my patients go home the same day if I have to do surgery on them for their fibroids. Recovery is five to seven days now. No longer do you have to be at home for four to six weeks. So for those patients who do need surgery, we have options available for them. I have a question that someone sent me in my DMs. She asked, what's the difference between fibroids and endometriosis? That's a good question. What's the difference between fibroids and endometriosis? There are two different diagnoses, two different diagnoses, and they can coexist. I had a patient not, not long ago that I performed a fibroid procedure on, and lo and behold, she had endometriosis. So she was telling me she had bleeding and pain, but it was for two different causes. So let's talk about fibroids. As I mentioned before, fibroids are tumors that grow. 
And what is a tumor? A tumor is just a, a cell that grows uncontrollably and it just grows faster than most. And fortunately, with fibroids, about 99.9% of the time, they are not malignant, meaning not cancerous. So we're talking about tumors that cause um, bleeding and that cause pain. The interesting thing about fibroids when compared to endometriosis is that fibroids, as I mentioned before, they cause symptoms, but a lot of patients can cope with the symptoms. Meaning, I talked about diapers. I have patients that go through bags of tampons. I have patients that say, don't even talk to me about Diva Cup because I fill it up every five minutes. So don't even talk to me about that. Whoa. So, but there are coping mechanisms that exist. Okay. Endometriosis is a chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Meaning, it's not going to go away. You're going to have it for a while if you get it. There are ways that we can decrease the pain, but that coping mechanism, it doesn't work as well. When you have an acute flare of endometriosis, which is this painful condition, I'll go into a little bit of detail in a minute, you have to stay at home. I mean, there's nothing you can do. Forget even trying to have sex. It's so painful and so tender in the area of the pelvis that you can't have a bowel movement without pain sometimes. You can't have any penetration within, of course. If you try to enter your bladder, it hurts. This endometriosis pain can happen during the menstrual cycle, before the menstrual cycle, after the menstrual cycle. There are triggers like caffeine. There are a lot of things that can cause this to happen and you just don't have any control over this. When it comes to endometriosis, there's not really as much as a genetic component that we know about. There's several different theories as to the cause of endometriosis. The one that we think is most prominent now is one that's called a retrograde theory. And that is, when you have a menstrual cycle, the blood comes out onto a tampon and it collects there. But there are fallopian tubes that are attached to the uterus. There are openings that allow eggs from the ovaries to get into the uterus. So blood comes out on a tampon, but also goes back into the belly. But when that happens, it seeds the belly and causes pain. So there are, there are a lot of different theories as to the cause. But one thing we do know, it hurts, it hurts like hell. So another question that came in in my DMs, does having fibroids put me at a greater risk of developing uterine or ovarian cancer? No. The genetic predisposition to fibroids, again, is for a benign tumor. When we talk about uterine cancer, having a family history of colon cancer may put you at increased risk for uterine cancer. When we talk about ovarian cancer, having a family history of breast cancer may put you at increased risk for ovarian cancer. But fibroids haven't demonstrated an increased risk of cancer at all. Okay, and this is the last question um, in the uh, interest of time that I'll pull from the DM. But a woman wrote in and asked, how does pregnancy affect my fibroids? She told me that she's pregnant, she has fibroids. What can she expect? You know, it's, it's, that's a good point because not enough people talk about that. What do you do if you have fibroids? You know, in pregnancy, fibroids can cause a lot of complications. If you think about a fibroid, it's inside the uterus, as you mentioned, right? Yeah. And the way they grow is they get blood supply from the uterus. You have a fibroid there, and now you have a baby there. Mm. Both need blood supply. Which one's gonna get the blood supply? You know, sometimes we see fibroids decrease in size about a third of the time. Another third, they remain the same size. And then the last third, they, they become larger. Now, you have a baby that's growing, and they typically grow from this way to this way. You have a large fibroid here, preventing the baby from growing this way. But the baby has to grow, it's not gonna start growing. Mm -hmm. So the only way the baby can grow is this way, and that means out. And if that happens at 22, 21, 23 weeks, that's a, that's a complication, the baby may not survive. Yeah. 
So fibroids can cause problems. So what we do in our comprehensive fibroid and pelvic pain center is we have maternal fetal medicine doctors who work with our patients who have fibroids. And they evaluate the cervix. They try to determine whether or not the patient is at risk for delivering early. And if they are, they receive medications to increase the chances that the baby will survive. Further, if they do have surgery with me, and I do take out the fibroids, sometimes if they're huge, the uterus may not be able to maintain the pregnancy, as you mentioned, to full term. And one of the ways we make sure that the pregnancy doesn't become loose or ruptures or anything like that during pregnancy is we have our specialists evaluate the uterus periodically to ensure that it's, it's nice and strong and it can maintain the pregnancy. So there are a lot of pregnancy complications that could occur. Okay. So can a woman prevent fibroids? Fibroids cannot. You hear me? Cannot Did you guys hear <laughs> Cannot be cannot. prevented. You cannot prevent your fibroids. What you can do is you can manage your fibroids. What you can do is you can slow the growth of your fibroids. You know, what we often hear, and what I just can't stand hearing, is I have patients that come and see me and they say, Doc, I have fibroids. I say, well, what did your primary care doc tell you to do? I say, well, they just said take birth control pills and then come back when it's a problem. All the time, the fibroids growing and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. That was my next question to you, that basically, exactly that. So when should a woman come in? So go ahead and finish your... The fibroids have become so large, now you're the patient that I saw with the nine pound fibroid. Right. She had been told, uh, just wait until you know you start having pain and you can't go to work and you have so much bleeding and all this. Well, that's not really the best thing to do. Some of the procedures that we can perform now, I can perform on fibroids that are the size of an orange, I can destroy the fibroid completely with energy and the fibroid will shrink and go away. That particular fibroid is done. But if patients wait long enough, you can't get that kind of stuff done. Right. So, you know, when should you come in to be evaluated? Based on your family history, like everything else. You have a family history of colon cancer, you should come in early to be seen. You have a family history of hypertension, you should come in early to be seen. If your mom had fibroids, and you're 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and you're having the conversation about menstrual cycles, which should happen, my, my hope is that with this conversation and other conversations I have with my patients, we can start encouraging moms and daughters and sisters and cousins to have open dialogues about, about menstrual cycles. Because if a, if a mom is talking to her daughter about the menstrual cycle and the daughter says, mom, look, my cycle is just like yours now. I'm having cycles for two weeks, and I don't know what's going on. No, it's not just a family thing. The family thing may be fibroids, yeah. and I have the opportunity to intervene and avoid a, a significant surgery for that for that daughter. I'm so glad you emphasized that because I think that's a problem. You know, lack of effective communication is a problem in all communities, but especially in the black community, there are certain things we do not like to talk about. Yeah. You know, we don't talk about finances, life insurance, investing. We don't talk about sex, the birds and the bees. We definitely don't talk about our bodies and menstruation. So I'm glad that you emphasize that we need to have those conversations. So folks, if you're not talking to your daughters, if you're, um, we have a special on Father's Day, we talk to a single father. If you're a single father raising a young girl, perhaps there's you know a, a woman in your family who can talk to her and mentor her and give her some advisement on the female issues. If not, Take her to the doctor. 
Take it to the doctor. It, it, it's important. Just an open dialogue can save lives. You know, every patient that I that I see, I treat fibroids, I treat pelvic pain, I treat endometriosis, and all this. But one of the first questions I ask during an initial interview is I say, okay, I understand you have fibroids. Tell me about your mother's menstrual cycle. She had a hysterectomy. I know because she had fibroids too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got that out of the way. Now, tell me who had breast and ovarian cancer in your family. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a full comprehensive evaluation. And then, well, you know what I hear most of the time, Dr. Thomas? What's that? Oh, I don't know. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. Well, if you talk about it, you can save lives. You can save lives. I have a patient that I saw two weeks ago who came to see me who had a double mastectomy because her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. She had this bracketing, which is a test that we do to evaluate for breast cancer. And she was coming to me to have her ovaries taken out because she said, I don't want ovarian cancer die. If I don't have ovaries, I can't get ovarian cancer, right? I said, right. And that just extended her life expectancy. So an open dialogue is key to really save them lives. I like what you just did. I like Thank that. You. I love that. I love it, love it, love it, love it. It's, it's you guys important. need to rewind and listen to what he just said during those last, yeah. I don't know, two minutes. It's, listen to what important. he just said. It's important because we can, you know, and it's not just, again, it's not just what I do. I, I focus on female health. You focus on mental health. But just asking those questions, I think, is important. We're, you know, we're providers. We have these areas of expertise that we focus on all the time. But it's not just that disease we're treating. We're treating the whole person. And when you start treating people that way, I think you really are providing an improved quality of life for everyone. I agree with that. So one more myth buster before we turn it over. We have to, yes. We have um, a special guest tonight. You guys know her as Ingrid B. She has a special personal story she wants to share about her experience with uterine fibroids. But before we go there, I want to be vegan or vegetarian because I was told meat creates hormones and those hormones are increasing the size of my fibroids. Myth or fact? So that may, there may be indirectly some truth to that. Mm -hmm. There may be some truth to that. So, you know, if you were to take two people and give one person hormones and give one person red meat, who would have fibroids? I don't know which one would have fibroids, but we know that red meat is associated with increased fibroid growth. Okay. Um, we know that obesity is, increased, is associated with increased fibroid growth. So that correlation exists. I do have patients that are vegan that have fibroids. So it's not as though if you just change your diet, they magically go away. However, their fibroids typically, on average, are not as, are not as large as the patients that I see who are, who are obese. All right, thank you for joining us on the couch, Ms. Ingrid. You're welcome. How are you? I, I'm all right, I think. <laughs> I'm all right. That's the loaded It gun. was a lot to, to listen to. It was a lot to listen to. So before we hear about your personal story, I just have one other urban myth. I think it's an urban myth. Bless this one too. Yeah, I've, I've read on some websites that fibroids are, um, the incidence is increased by women who relax their hair or perm their hair. I saw, I saw that on a lot of websites. Now, I can't recall which ones. I don't believe they were reputable sites. You know, I don't think it was Mayo Clinic, it wasn't Hopkins, but what says you about perms, relaxers, and fibroids? I don't know what I would tell my patients with natural hair that. 
because I have patients who have significant fibroid issues who don't have perms. Did they have perms ever in the past? Some of them have, have had perms, but the patients that I take care of, the majority of them who have natural hair, were against it from the beginning. Okay. Now, I also have patients who've had perms all their life that don't have fibroids or have very small ones. Well, that myth is busted. Thank you, Dr. Stitt. You're very welcome. All righty. So, Ms. Inger B. Yes, darling. Have you had concerns with fibroids in the past? Yes, I, uh, I was first told that I had fibroids by a doctor when I was about 17, 18 years old. He said, I, he didn't say I had them, he said I will have problems with fibroids later. He didn't tell me what fibroids were, we didn't have a conversation about fibroids. He just said they were gonna be a problem later. I'm 17, 18 years old, I, nothing can happen to me, I'm, you know, indestructible. Um, my period lasted for three days. She came, she said, hi, you're not pregnant, congratulations. And then by day three, she was gone. And at about 33, she started showing up for a really long time. I went to a doctor, a gynecologist, female, black. She said, oh, you have fibroids. That was that. No explanation, just, okay, this is some woman thing that I'm going through and I lived with them. I was a whole crazy person from 35 to about 45. A whole crazy person. The, if we're gonna keep it short, the end for me was moving away from home, being married, being with somebody that wants me to get pregnant, not realizing that they're in my uterus. I'm just thinking that they just grow. I'm not thinking they have anything to do with my womb. Um, and trying to figure out how long to leave the gas stove on. Yeah. And then I was like, this is happening, it's not all month that I'm thinking like this. This is happening at a particular time. And I just started writing down, putting it in my, you know, my, my period tracker, all of my moods and what was going on. By the time I left Atlanta and came back home, my father just happened to have a friend who is a, a OBGYN specialist as well. And he had a very candid conversation with me, just the same way you did. And he listened. He was not dismissive. And I asked him, I was like, I want to take birth control because I don't like birth control. I've never taken it. I want to take birth control to stop my period for three months. I wanted to see how I would feel if I was not having my period. And I was great. So somewhere around October, November, I started on the birth control. I knew that I had a cruise coming up. I knew that insurance was gonna kick in fully uh, at the top of the year. I got on the cruise and on January 20th, 19, uh, 2019, the night of the blood moon, I started, um, what is it, spotting while on the cruise. My, le my leg was swollen, I was out of sorts, but I was, I was just spotting got off the cruise, went to the gynecologist. He said, um, your womb is the size of a five-month pregnant woman. I said, okay. And I said, um, throw the whole thing away. I understand and it frustrates me that women are not given the option to go through all the procedures at a younger age. I cannot imagine how that would have felt if I did not already have a child. I, I think that would have been beyond traumatizing, especially since part of the reason for the divorce was he wanted a child. And that became, a, he did not comprehend 
this, oh, you can, you know, you can just eat the right things. No, sir, we didn't touch on the, the your husband is going to have to wake up in the middle of the night sometime, and there's going to be blood. Mm-hmm. So um, it was just a very, it was, it was a rough experience. I'm still angry about it, just a little bit. Okay, a lot of it. I'm still angry about it. But I just make it my business to talk about it. Yeah. So I, I want to do things like this. I go on my lives and have conversations during February Awareness Month because we do not, pain is not a lifestyle. And I'm going to say black women because I'm a black woman, but I think that we treat pain like it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Like this is just something we have to go through because we're women. Absolutely not. And, and Ingrid, let me clarify. So you were 17 when that gynecologist said you will have issues with fibroids. And then by the time you were actually formally diagnosed with fibroids, it was 16 years later. It sounds like you were 30. Yeah, I had a child already. My period so, was great. There so were no be- issues. So in between the age of 17 and your early 30s, no one had done a screening or talked to you anymore about the fibroids. I was living my best life. Let, 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 let me address that. Yes, sir. So, you know, if you have a history of having fibroids, it's incumbent upon your provider to do an evaluation, to check you. I can't tell you uh, the number of women that I've evaluated and have had the same complaint. Five-month pregnancy size uterus. No one has ever done an evaluation or touched their uterus doing an annual exam. If you do that, you can easily determine if there's a large mass there. You can easily determine what's going on when it's the size of a four-month pregnancy or four-week pregnancy, five-week pregnancy. So. What we have to do, and part of what I do in educating other providers, is let them know that you have to put your hands on patients. We have healing hands, right? This is what we do as providers. We try to figure out as best we can how to take care of folks, but you need to use your hands. Thank you so much for that story. That was a, I, 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 I can hear your your emotion behind it, and and I, I feel like I, I'm in my office talking to a patient that I that I see every day because the story, unfortunately, is not so uncommon. It's very, very common. And the more folks like yourself, Ingrid, share your story, I think the more women hear about what has happened over years and what we can do moving forward to take care of black women. Guys, thank you so much for joining me tonight on the couch at the English Brown Winery. If you haven't been here yet, please stop by and check it out. It's a black-owned business right here in Hollywood. I hope you learned a lot tonight from Dr. Lawrence Stead, who came in as my special guest, as well as from Ms. Ingrid B., who shared her personal story. The conversation was great. We want you to continue this dialogue in all of your homes, with your families, and also with your friends. Ladies, talk to the other ladies. Have conversations about your woman parts, your your genitalia, your, your menses, your experiences. Have conversations and share. Within reason, with people you trust, of course, but communication is so vital and it's, it's just so key in everything that we do on a daily basis. And it may actually help you to live a healthier, more vibrant life. And what you should have taken away from this, your doctor, the doctors you choose, and your medical care and your medical management, those doctors are very important. If you have a doctor who's not talking to you, not explaining things to you, not giving you the option to be an informed consumer, please fire them. 
If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe to my channel. It's Dr. Delvina Thomas. And don't forget about our podcast, The Brain Love Podcast. A new episode comes out every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Brain Love. the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need It's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.